This afternoon, we will look at the Word of God as we confess and summarize it in Lord's Day 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism. That is the Lord's Day that deals with the ninth commandment about bearing false witness. In light of that, we're going to read from the letter of James, the third chapter. So after Hebrews, you'll find James in the New Testament. That's on page 1387 in my Bible here. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest is a a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole person and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh." Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And now let's open up our books of praise again, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43. on page 557 in your book of praise. There the confessing church asks, what is required in the ninth commandment? Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. We answer, I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or joining in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works. 
under penalty of God's heavy wrath, in court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 141, 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you an arsonist? Do you know what that means? you know what an arsonist is? You do? Very good. Somebody who lights deadly fires that, you know, destroy houses and perhaps endanger lives? No, I, I, I'm not an, an arsonist, you, you say. Oh, maybe I like to light fires. Maybe I might even like explosives. But lighting fire is just to destroy things? Things that other people own? No, no, not at all. You might know down in Fergus, where I'm from, there's, well, there's all these suspicious fires all over the place. And last year, a man was charged with lighting six of them, but there's like another 20 that nobody knows who starts them. Are you an arsonist? The Word of God, though, says we actually are. But fires of a different sort, not fires with matches and gasoline. Fires started with our tongues. You can read there in James, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh, that goes from bad to worse to frightening. Some fires can maybe be contained, but not this one. The whole course of our lives all of nature is set on fire by our tongues. Some fires maybe are not that hot. But this is a fire started by hell itself. In James chapter 1, James also says there, If anyone does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion, his religious life is useless. Oh, we like to pretend that we're so very religious. You know, that we go to church and the money that we might give, we so often forget about the harsh and unkind and proud words that we speak. We ought to look at our words. The Word of God tells us not to fool ourselves. Here in James 3, he adds more. The tongue not only sort of tells you what your true colors are like, but here in, in chapter 3, he adds, your, the tongue is an active power. He compares the tongue to a rudder on a ship, a poison, a fire. The tongue directs, the tongue infects, the tongue destroys. It is a world of unrighteousness. It does not just have a small rule, it corrupts the whole person. Now doesn't this go against everything that our world believes? It's just like with all the other commandments too. We so often think, yeah, we don't have to be that serious about things. I mean, it's just a harmless look. No one is getting hurt. Isn't that what's said, you know, when it comes to pornography or something like that? 
We believe the same sorts of lies here too. It's just words. It's, 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 it's the truth. I mean, who doesn't gossip now and then? That is all a lie. The tongue is a restless evil, a deadly poison, a burning fire. We have a terrible tool in our mouths to destroy others, to destroy ourselves. But we also have this commandment, the ninth commandment. And here in the Heidelberg Catechism, we are in the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism. You know then, that's the part of thankfulness. That's the part that begins with Lord's Day 32, where it talks about how Christ not only redeems us, but also renews us. So this commandment is given to us also, that in our salvation we might learn to live according to it. It's given to us by our Savior, who also grants us His Spirit, who can tame what no man can tame. I put the Word of God to you then under that theme. Christ gives us new tongues. Well, first of all, look though at the devil's work that we need to abhor and repent of. And secondly, we'll look at God's work. Now, when we deal with the Ninth Commandment, it's good to first of all look at the specific wording of the Ninth Commandment. You notice that the Ninth Commandment is not just do not lie, although lying is certainly within the focus of this commandment. And right away in Genesis chapter 3, at the fall into sin, you see that sin and the lie, those go hand in hand. But here we're told specifically, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. That means that we need to be very precise. We have a bigger problem than just that we might like to fudge on our golf golf scores or something like that. As sinners, we use our tongues against our neighbor. To attack his name, his reputation, his life. This commandment specifically mentions the neighbor. The neighbor that we've been dealing with since the fifth commandment. This commandment tells us that we ought not to be a false witness. In Hebrew, the word false, and there are two different words in Exodus and Deuteronomy when the Ten Commandments are given. They have the idea of being deceitful, treacherous, empty, So here too, we are not just those who lie, we are those who are sort of backstabbers, we we undermine, we empty, we empty someone of the honor and respect they ought to have. And that can happen in various ways. The most obvious example, the first setting of this commandment, Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Clearly, the first setting of this is the courtroom. Look at King Ahab in the Old Testament when he wants to seize the vineyards of Naboth. Jezebel, the evil queen, tells him how to do it. Have a day of fasting, she says, where everyone is gathered together. Then get two scoundrels to point to Naboth and accuse him of cursing God and his king. 
Now that's worthy of stoning. Then you have your vineyard. Look at the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders look long and hard for something for which they can put him to death. Finally, they find someone who says, this man said he would destroy the temple in three days and build it up again. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ did say something like that. He was not, though, planning the destruction of Herod's temple, but rather the destruction of his own body and creating a new temple through his resurrection. But that was enough for them. Well, there at the trial of Christ, too, you also see the next thing that our catechism mentions. Twisting someone's words. Someone has told you something in one context, you lift it out, you put your own spin on it. Then the catechism goes on to say that I be no backbiter. Although if you look at your Heidelberg Catechism, you notice that it uses the word gossip, but maybe some of you who might be a bit older can remember that we had the word backbiter there. And you still do find that word backbiter in at least one place in the book of praise. And you can tell me later where that might be. A backbiter. What is a backbiter? You see, a backbiter, I'm highlighting this too, because to backbite is actually a scriptural thing. You'll find this particular term in Romans 1.30, 2 Corinthians 12.20, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Peter takes for granted that this sort of thing happens in the world. Paul is afraid that it's poisoned the Corinthian church. In the letters of the early church fathers, it's mentioned many times. To be a backbiter, that's a little bit different than being a gossip. It is what it says. You you bite back. You feel hurt or injured by someone and you, 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 you use your words to get back at them. Isn't that so common and so easy to do? You might even tell yourself, yeah, this, this is justice. They deserve that. Someone's hurt you, maybe, made just, you've, you've maybe just made you feel uncomfortable. But when you talk about them, you put them down in front, in front of others. That's a little bit more than being a gossip, you see. That's being a gossip with a kind of um, agenda, intent. But certainly there is what we now have too in the catechism, that word gossip. And that's also highlighted in Scripture as something that we do. The book of Proverbs says that gossip is a tasty morsel. Are we sensitive to gossip? You think that we ought to be. But would you not agree that in our social media, there is a lot of gossip that happens? And there's a lot of sort of um, standing on the sidelines and partaking of gossip or other people's gossip. You can spend your time scrolling through stuff and almost reading about how people are talking about each other. Ooh, that's terrible. That's bad. I can't believe they're saying that. Somehow that's all part of your, you having a bit of fun too. What about in our Christian circles? 
There's that saying that familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt. At times in our Canadian Reformed churches, you know, we, we know a lot about each other. We know the families that people come from. Are we at times too familiar with each other and too quick to really gossip, pass on stories about others, quick to judge others? And then there's slander. That's gossip taken to the next level. Gossip is about a particular sin. Slander is more about a person's character where you damage their whole name. And then to, we are not to condemn anyone rashly and unheard. We confess in the catechism. In the catechism, you can see there at footnotes, Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, lest you be judged. The world misuses that text, but have we forgotten it? We are not to judge. Where we are being judgmental, where we've got our nose up, where we forget about the fact that we're sinners in need of the grace of God, where we see the speck in the lives of others and forget about the log in our own. And then there are also sins of omission when it comes to this commandment. So things that we forget to do. Do we stand up for the reputation of others? There's the sin of speaking, but also the sin of silence. In the Old Testament, if you did not speak up when you heard a public charge about someone, you were held responsible. And all of this, with our words, is so damaging. Proverbs 16, 28, a gossip separates close friends. Friends can be close, but gossip can separate them. Without wood, a fire goes out. With, without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Proverbs 26, 20. And we wonder at times maybe why quarrels or divisions seem to smolder on and on and on. How many marriages, how many churches are on fire because of tongues? You can always find something to complain about, to gossip about, and almost always find an ear to hear it. The apocryphal book of Ecclesiasticus wisely says, Many have fallen by the edge of the sore, but not so many as have perished by their own tongue. That's in chapter 28, verse 22. We clearly need to learn to become sensitive to this sin. And that's exactly where the Heidelberg Catechism takes us. Just look at how we deal with this in the Heidelberg Catechism. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty 
of God's heavy wrath. Do I see, do you see our words? This is how the devil loves to work. The tongue is this fire set on fire by hell. We read there in James. The devil is the father of lies. This is his forte. This is how he loves to work. This is how he loves to destroy the things of God. He has no real power like God has, but he can bend things. He can twist. He can manipulate. He can insinuate. He can change people's perceptions of their God and of others. Just look in the beginning how we got Adam and Eve to sin. Did God really say? A small insinuation that God somehow was not quite as good as He made Himself out to be. And that He was withholding the best from them. And it so clearly brought death. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ calls the devil the father of lies and also a murderer. And those two things go hand in hand. If I twist someone's words, if I blacken someone's name, if I gossip about them, I am really bringing death. Do we realize what we are taking part of with our words. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 12, 22. You can read in Scripture that something like homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. But let's keep reading and discover too that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Something detestable detestable and loathful. One of the groups of people who are in hell are liars. Revelation 21.8 Let us learn to hate this sin as the work of the devil. Let us learn to love the ways of our God. That's our second point. Now, first of all, when we look at the positive side of any commandment, we can look to our Savior, and we see in Him, we have one who never sinned against any of God's commandments and who truly did fulfill them, live them to their full. Very clearly, the Lord Jesus Christ did not have a tongue singed even by the fires of hell. Maybe you could say he had a sharp tongue, but he did not have a tongue that was malicious or manipulative. In 1 Peter 2, 23, you can read, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There you also see The Lord Jesus Christ shows the way to keep this commandment. He did not retaliate. He did not backbite. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to him who judges justly. We use our tongues to sort of mete out justice. But look at the Lord Jesus Christ and how he went the way of the cross. There you see a new way. A a way where you no longer think your words are sort of like God, where you have to be in control. Instead, where you entrust things into the hands of your Heavenly Father. We do not have to return barb for barb or insult for insult, but we can trust that God will bless us. And Christ also gives us new hearts. He tells us that over, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are to use your tongue right, you need to pray over your heart. Pray for humility and tenderness and love towards others. I've learned this lesson in my own life, and I hope that you've learned it too. That if others do not have the right place in your heart, your words to them or even about them will not be right either. Open up your Bibles for a moment to 1 Peter 3. Peter also has a lot to tell tell us about the tongue. After James, you'll find Peter... 1 Peter 3, 8. And you can, you can see the flow here. 1 Peter 3, 8. So 1 Peter 3, 8. Peter says, Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary, blessing. Know that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what I want to highlight here is Look at verse 8 and 9. Look at the order of those two. First of all, he says, have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Make sure your heart does not get hard. Stand before your God, before Jesus Christ. Know your own need of grace. Be humbled every day again by your God. That is the foundation that you need to not be able to return evil for evil. And even then, that you would bless and love your enemies when you first of all know the God who has loved you when you were an enemy. Look at the Apostle Paul in his letters. If you read through his letters, they are a beautiful model. Constantly, he gives thanks for people. 
That's sort of the flip side as well to this commandment. The one way is that we constantly sort of, well, we judge others and we see the evil, the dirt in their lives and we sort of talk about it and we even like to get our own hands dirty with it. The Apostle Paul instead, he praises, praises God. He gives thanks for this person and that person. He cultivates a spirit of gratitude for the gifts of others. Well, that Timothy takes such a genuine interest in the lives of others that Epaphras wrestles in prayer for the Colossians. Rejoice over each other to the glory of Christ. And your words, too, will follow. Learn to be a peacemaker. Look at how James ends that chapter on the tongue being a fire. At the end of that chapter, he talks about peacemaking. And about how peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. We need to realize that with our words, we all are farmers. We're all sowing seed. And there will be a harvest. And there can be a harvest of righteousness. Pleasant words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 16, 24. Put an end to gossip. Find other, better things to talk about. Be bold enough to interrupt someone who is gossiping to you and with you. Do not be such a willing audience. Be a positive gossip, a good gossip. And we end the Heidelberg Catechism talking about doing what we can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. And as a believer, you have the perspective of faith. You know that God is at work in the lives of your fellow believers. There are good things about others by the grace of God that you can talk about to the glory of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 12 that we one day will have to give an account for every careless word we utter. They will be brought up before the holy judge. A tree is known by its fruit. James also tells us our tongues are a rudder guiding and leading us. What you say is not just your words. Your tongue charts the direction of your whole life. And one day it will be clear that your tongue is a rudder which has charted nothing less than your own eternal destiny. By your own words, you will be acquitted on the day of judgment. Because from your own words... It is clear that you were a child of God. In your words about others, there was honor and love 
especially for those who believed and confessed the God whom you did? And by your words, your own words, you will also be condemned. Words that pushed others away. Words that spoke of nothing but their darkness. Words that reveled in their darkness. Those words will condemn you to the darkness. Amen.